this is a week that we actually refer to as Christians. We started with Palm Sunday. And then as many Christians around the world, Eastern Orthodox and other Christians, uh, some of the Coptic churches and some other religions, they, they celebrate every day of the week. We celebrate three of the days. We celebrate the Palm Sunday. We don't necessarily celebrate Holy Monday or Holy Tuesday because we know each week something was happening during the week. On Wednesday, it's called Spy Wednesday, if you've never known that, but it's called Spy Wednesday or Holy Wednesday and then Maldi Thursday. But now we're here we are on Friday. It's Good Friday. And not so many good things actually happen on Friday, except that we celebrate now because what seemed like a very terrible thing to us, we see from the Word of God that actually was very the plan of God that God would die. Jesus would die for us on the cross as we celebrate today. And then we know he truly did die. We'll see crucifixion. The Romans were experts at crucifixion. If you were crucified by a Roman, you were dead. Uh, there was no way to live beyond crucifixion. Crucifixion started with a beating, a scourging, and we know that Jesus was mocked and scourged multiple times in, in a wrongful tribunal, uh, no, nighttime courts, everything was done underhanded, but it still was the plan of God. So let's read together in Mark chapter 15, Mark 15, I'm going to begin in verse 21. And as Mike has already read from Isaiah 53, I'll just reference that, but Isaiah 53, if it was not in the, in the future tense, it actually would actually sound like we're reading a story of a historical narrative that we were reading the newspaper or something that might be in the Jerusalem Times the next day. But it's written in a future tense. It was written five to 700 years before Jesus ever came to this earth, born of flesh. It was written five to 700 years, and it's precisely, exactly the very words that actually happened and that day on the cross, on that Friday, on that good Friday. Let's begin in verse, chapter 15, verse 21. Then they compelled a certain man, Simon of Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear the cross of Jesus. And they brought Jesus to the place of Golgotha, which is translated place of the skull. Then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. This was kind of pain medication of sorts, if you will. And when they crucified him, uh, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. Now it was the third hour or the morning. Some have said this is nine o'clock in the morning. And they crucified him. And crucifixion was a process. It wasn't a one and done. It, was, it would last hours. Sometimes men would hang on the cross for days as their body would deteriorate. They couldn't breathe. They would suffocate basically on the cross. But Jesus' body had been beaten so severely that we see that he does die on the cross. Verse 26, and the inscription of his accusation was written above, the king of the Jews. And with him they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And that reference there again is Isaiah 53, 12. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, aha, you who destroyed the temple and built it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priest also mocking among themselves with the scribes said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Let's pray together. Father God, we read your word and we say, Had these people only knew the truth. And Lord, you walked among them because you are truth. Father, even today in the 21st century, we read this story and say, oh, that's Old Testament, that's old time stuff. And we see our world going after everything that they crave. Every sinful thing is called correct today. Everything that's evil is called good, and everything good is called evil. And Father, people are still doing the very same things that they did in this time, in your day, 
and still refusing you as their Lord and Savior. We pray this Good Friday that we would actually be equipped, that we would walk out of this place, would have a great meal, would, would feast from the word of God, and we'd go forward and, Lord, share the good news of Jesus Christ with the watching and wanting world. As we know very truly from your word, some people will vehemently not receive the message of Jesus Christ. Some people will ponder and think about it, and some will receive you as their Lord and Savior, as many of us have done. Father, that's what we pray. That's what we count as success today, when we, one Christian, one beggar tells another beggar where to find bread, and you're the bread of life. We praise you, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I had notes today, and I want to read these just off to you, so a couple of the notes I want you to take away with you today, if you would. The crucifixion of our Lord Jesus is something that is difficult to think upon. If you think about it, it really makes you, um, if you will, just before mealtime, it makes you a little sick to your stomach to think about what they did to Jesus. How they beat Jesus and tormented his body so severely that he, he couldn't even finish carrying his cross to the hill of Golgotha, the place of the skull. He w had no more strength. His body is losing blood and, of course, losing water and no food and the mockery, the pain and the scourging and the beatings that he was taking up to this point. And you can go back and read the Gospels. And if you, have, you want to read in Matthew 27, Luke 23, and John 19, this same account with other details that the, the Gospel writers give us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we see that Jesus Christ died a very brutal death. Now, the death that he suffered was very brutal and very painful, but the worst pain came, as we see on the cross, where God the Father turned his back on Christ, as it were, and put your sins and my sins upon him. You start thinking about the things, when you see Jesus, you read the story, you start saying, that's not fair. That's not fair. They should have never beat Jesus. All he did was what? Heal the sick. He helped the lame to walk. He caused the blind to see. He caused the deaf to hear. He fed the 5,000s and the 10,000s and really probably 25,000s. Uh, it's called the feeding of the 4,000 and the feeding of the 5,000. But then it says plus women and children. So you have to do some math, some basic math. And the average Jewish family would have four to five kids of children. And you add, you add that many, do the multiplication. What's five times five? 25. So it's potentially 25, even up to 40,000 people that he would have fed at one feeding. You say, well, that sounds impossible. It is with man. But he was not just only 100% man, he was 100% God. When I was a kid, people used to tell stories, and I don't know where the stories come from. There's people that used to teach that only Jesus was ever crucified. Only Jesus was crucified. Have you ever heard that when you were a kid? Anybody ever heard that? That there was nobody else crucified but Jesus. Well, here in this text, you'll see very clearly there was two thieves crucified on either side of him. This was the Roman execution. This was the style of Roman execution. You would, you would crucify, and it was a very public display. The cross today has become very trendy. Wear it on a necklace, get a tattoo, wear it on a bracelet, hang it in the church. We, we don't have a rugged cross. If we had a bloodstained cross, it'd probably be more accurate. A rugged old cedar post up there maybe with blood dripping off of it, that would help us to see and understand. But instead, we, we clean the cross up and then we use it as a symbol of jewelry or something that's convenient. Even many gang members will get a tattoo down when they're in prison of the cross uh, because they have roots they trace back to their grandmother or someone in their family, they will say that that's, I'm, I'm religious too up until this point. Well, listen, I want to tell you the cross was an instrument of death. That's all it was. And Jesus Christ was, among others, was hung on these crosses. And when fathers and mothers would bring their children into town, they would say, look, this is what the Romans do to you. If you go against the Rome, if you go against Rome, they're going to string you up. They're going to crucify you just like that man there, just like that man there. And it was symbol, seen as a symbol. And those men would rot to death for many times, or, or if you will, suffocate. 
and rot. And along the road, you would see crucifixion on a regular basis. We, they knew what was happening, and they knew you were a bad person if you were crucified. Jesus stands before everyone hovering over this hill, the place of the skull. We read in the scripture how he was nailed to that Roman cross. And if you read, he took the place of one. Do you remember the name of the place he took? Who should have been there? There was a man who was a murderer. His name was Barabbas. He should have been right there. Barabbas, he was on Barabbas' cross. For his transgressions, Jesus Christ took Barabbas' place. But not only did he take Barabbas' place, y'all, today, he took your place, and he took your place, he took your place, your place, your place, and he took my place. We, we deserve death. We deserve hell. But yet Jesus Christ loved us enough that he actually would go to the place of death, have the Father place all of our sins on him that day, this is what's good about Good Friday, not the bloody death of Jesus, even though it took that to actually satisfy the judgment of holy God because God required a holy sacrifice for our sins and for your sins and mine. And on the cross this day, he took that judgment. The Father, is, as it were, turned his back to Christ because Christ was covered. He was made sin, the Bible says, for us. Now, he was not a sinner. Never get that mixed up. Jesus never sinned. He was holy. He was never a sinner. He never became a vile sinner, but your sins were placed, as it were, on a white sheet, on a perfect, holy, white, if you can imagine a white sheet, stained with sin and darkness and blood. He was stained and he was made sin for me and you. Your stuff, your sins, your choices were laid on him that day. The Bible is clear as we read through, our guilt was put upon Jesus. Romans 5, 8 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Can you, do you ever stop and just think? And we hopefully take time this Easter season to think, just ponder and think, Christ died for me. You know what you've done wrong in your life, don't you? Even if you're a young person, you know the sins that you've done. Do you ever have to tell a child to rebel against their parents? No, all you have to do is feed them and get them to the age, and they will realize that I'm going to tell you no, or I'm going to rebel against whatever it is. Look at you. You were once a child, and there's children in the room. You don't have to tell a child, no, there's rebellion built within the heart, the Bible says. And we come to this place and see in the scripture, this is what the word of God says that Jesus took on the cross that day. He was crucified on Golgotha. He was nailed to the cross. And listen, some people will tell you that Jesus didn't die. If you go back and read the crucifixion, they, some will say he was swooned. He just actually was just passed out, and they put him in the tomb. There's no man, no woman could take this beating that he took and lived to tell about it. He didn't live. When the Roman soldiers, verse 24, if you look quickly with me, Romans soldiers crucified him, they gambled for his clothing. Jesus' crime, his accusation was above his head, was inscribed above his head in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. And it said this was his claim, this was his problem. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. He fulfilled the prophecy when he died among those two criminals in Isaiah 53, 12. The Bible says he suffered reproach and mockery from the crowds. The people walked by and wagged their heads at him and said, Aha, if this truly was the Son of God, he could bring himself down, come down. Even the religious leaders did the very same thing. The men who knew the scriptures best, because it didn't just say the, the scribes. Listen, what it, look what it says in the word as we leave today. These are people who knew better. Verse 31, likewise, the chief priest also mocking among them were the scribes. These are the men who would translate and write down the scriptures word for word from generation to generation. They wrote Isaiah 53 multiple times to have new manuscripts. They knew what the Word of God said, and it shows you the vileness of a human heart. 
They were evil to the core, even though they would actually do religious things. Is that happening in the 21st century? The people claim to be Christians. People show up at church and they say, listen, I, I love Jesus too, like everyone else. Yet they'll go Monday through Saturday and live a vile life. The Bible says that shouldn't be. Blessing and cursing should not come from the same mouth. But these men, the crowd, they made fun of Jesus. They mocked and reviled him. The religious leaders, they mocked and reviled him. And he was dying the whole time for their sins. Even the two thieves that were going to die, they knew their deadline's over here shortly, mocked and reviled Jesus, saying, yes, if you're truly God, get us off the cross. Take us with you, but get us down. No one in the crowd that we understand stood for Jesus that day. And I wrote this note, and I want you to mark this down in your head and your heart. Unbelief comes from all backgrounds, all socioeconomic statuses, and spheres of life. Unbelief is here naked and around the world. Those who called for him to come down from the cross really didn't want him to come down from the cross, did they? Did they want him to come down? They knew if he did, he would show the power of God, and then forever they would have to serve him. But also through the miraculous things that he did, they knew that to be true. Jesus said one man who actually wanted him to come down off the cross. It was a man of the Sanhedrin, and we've been studying Acts. We know about Paul as he stands before the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin did not believe, the Sadducees, I mean, did not believe in the resurrection. But this man, he comes, and I want you to turn to his, this will be our last scripture before we pray and say our blessing. But I want you to turn and see Luke chapter 23. Luke 23. This man, there's, there was this very special man, and he, when, in doing what he did for Christ, he fulfilled scripture. Remember that 600-year-old prophecy? Look at Luke chapter 23 and verse 50. Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. He had not consented to their decision. Indeed, he was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, where? Down from the cross, wrapped it in linen, laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever lain before. That day was the preparation and the Sabbath drew near. And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath concerning the commandment. I want you to see there was a man of Joseph, it was his name, of Arimathea. He was a wealthy man. The Bible points out that he was wealthy. Why? So that scripture might be fulfilled that he was actually, he was killed with the thieves, the criminals, yet he was laid to rest among the rich or the wealthy. God used this man. He used his status in life. He used his position in life. And this man turns back around and uses what he has to bring glory to God. He actually didn't just say, come down from the cross. He went to Pilate and said, would you give me his body? And the Bible says they took him down from the cross. Jesus is no longer on the cross. So people walk around with crucifix on their neck. Listen, uh, those aren't properly marked. If you're going to wear around a cross today, tell the story one of the cross, but don't wear a crucifix. Because he's no longer on the cross. He was buried that day. He was dead, dead, and he did rise again the third day according to the scriptures, and he lives forevermore. That's what Good Friday is about. As Trey said, hey, we know the end of the story, right? We, we've read the book, and we know who wins, and we're part of the winning team because we serve the living Lord Jesus. This season is the best season to share the love of Christ. Let me pray for us today. Father God, your word is so rich and it's so true, yet so many people fear it, run away from it, love their sins more than they love the Savior. But Father, I pray this, Christmas, uh, this Easter season would be like Christmas, 
that, Father, we would receive the gift that you offer to us, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this gift of eternal life is given through the only way, Jesus Christ, our belief in him. It's about faith alone and Christ alone, Lord. We know whereby we must be saved. I pray for our family and friends as we travel, as we go, that we would share with someone the meaning of Easter, not just an Easter egg hunt, but, Father, the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. How much you, God, love us that you sent your son to die on the cross for our sins. This truly is the reason why this Friday is a good Friday. Thank you that you give us the opportunity to celebrate you. We praise you and we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.